this fucking ass that he has. All the thrown balls and everything. Holy fuck. Jesus Christ, he's just... Joe's fucking fighting three fucking McDonald's here at one time with a shovel and everything. We've got if someone's getting sparked out by a shovel or something here, acid and everything. Oi, piss and blood. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. He is the bare knuckle boxer from a long line of champions. But it'll be a lifetime before he gets back to fighting. Joe Joyce Jr. said he was only defending himself in his home when he took a slash hook to a young neighbour who would later die from his injuries. Despite his claims of self-defence, a jury convicted him of the murder of 18-year-old John Paul McDonough and now Joyce is beginning a life sentence behind bars. So who is Joe Joyce Jr.? And what is bare-knuckle boxing? Today I'm talking with Sunday World journalist Eamon Dillon, an author of Gypsy Empire, about the traditional way disputes between rival clans are settled, about how social media is used to goad underground contests, and how one of its most infamous characters has fallen foul of a violence that often spills out of the competition ring and into personal lives. Eamon tells me about what happened on the night John Paul McDonough died and he considers if the Joyce conviction will have any effect on the brutal contests. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. I'm actually going to just tell you I don't know much about bare knuckle boxing. Would that surprise you? Not at all, Nicola. It certainly wouldn't. I mean, it's, it's, a, bit of a, it's a bit of a niche area in fairness. I think even... Uh, you know, outside the immediate enthusiasts, I don't think it's kind of a, a, a widely, I suppose, indulged in pastime. I mean, it, it would be a spin-off even of, of professional boxing or amateur boxing, mm. uh, you know. So, I mean, it, it, is very, it is very much a niche area. So I, you can be forgiven for not being on top of this one. Yeah, and you know, I have seen some of it only because I'd be floating in around the office while you're, you know going through the stuff on YouTube and that. And, um, you know, that's been going on for years. So but just explain what it is. Is it a sport? Well, I mean, I suppose it is in one sense. In You know, you can argue over whether golf or hang gliding is a sport as well. But, I mean... It, golf it really, is a sport, Eamon, seriously. <laughs> well, some people suggest it's a walk on the countryside punctuated by disappointments. But uh, leaving that aside... And what about rugby? Uh, rugby's a proper sport, absolutely. Yeah, you we, see? Showing your colours now. To get back to your original question, it's, I think it was originally, um, it would have been part of the wider community years back. Um, you know, when I say years back, we're talking like 17th, 18th century. And that, you know, you had your, your gentlemen folk would, would duel each other with pistols at dawn to, to settle an argument or questions of honour and such like. And they'd have their loyal sidekicks with them to reload their muskets or whatever it was before they managed to not shoot each other and get back to the, the billiard hall to continue drinking. Um, and I think then kind of the poor man's version of that was rolling up your sleeves and going at it in a fair fight witnessed by your neighbours so that you could say, well, you know, Eamon, Eamon won that fair and square. He's an honourable man. And, and that would have been kind of often done on fair days. So people would have claimed that they were ripped off or, you know, with the sale of a horse or a cow or something. So next time... 
the cattle dealer or the person you bought off or whatever it was the argument is about, you'd settle it in front of all your neighbours, friends and business people so that it would be done and dusted and you'd, you'd spit in your hands and shake and that would be the end of it. That was the end of the argument until a new, I guess, a new dispute arose. So, I mean, that, that would have... That would have continued on, up, I imagine, in, in some country areas for you know quite a long time. And like a lot of um, tr- traditions, some of them have lasted longer uh, within the Irish travelling community for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, partly because of their, I, I suppose, there would have been the social social isolation, and again, their love of tradition. And so, I mean, for many years, it would have been, you know, a clear-cut dispute resolution mechanism, a way to sort out an argument and not be the end of it. Don't argue with me. I beat you in a fair fight. Uh, but it has developed since then, and it's, it's not quite what it was. And, and there's various factors for that. And part of it is, is, I think, social media has a big role to play now. Uh, and, and the fact that there never seems to be a resolution. Like there's always seems to be an excuse as to why there needs to be a rematch. And then somebody is refusing to take part in that rematch. And that then itself becomes the reason for another dispute resolution mechanism to be enacted. So it kind of goes on and on. But a lot of it, it is about trying to be... It sounds exactly like boxing to me there, the way you've described that. And do people retire and stuff out of it? Well, they, they'd say they're not going to fight again and some of them don't and some of them come back. I mean... We, we, like, we'll get into it like certainly in more detail but like I mean there, there's fellas in their, their late 50s have come out of retirement to fight each other you know a death, ratch, death match two like two big heavyweights that might have fought in, in the early 90s you know back in 2006 dusted off their, their singlets and got back into the, the, the laneway in a, in, a, in a bog somewhere and went had it hammer and tongs until one of them bit the other in the ear allegedly bit one of the other in the ear and uh, that was the end of that. And there hasn't been a rematch in that particular one since. But yeah, I mean, it, it goes on. Um, and, and you get like, you know, you, you, I'm sure when you were going through all your research with Clash of the Clans, you would have seen like some of these trash talking videos. And, you know, you, you've all seen the likes of Conor McGregor shaping up to a, an opponent at a press conference, chest out, nose to nose. And you, you can see the promoters just loving it, knowing that this stuff is going to go viral. And it's hard to know how much of it is staged and how much, you know, how much is real venom between the fighters. You know, are they really secretly going around the back, having a cup of tea and a giggle about how they wound everybody up five minutes ago? But I think with, with some of the, the bare knuckle boxers, um, you know, there's YouTube videos. Now, some of them aren't necessarily directly posted to YouTube. They're sent out on WhatsApp or on Facebook Messenger. And then they end up on YouTube. And a lot of them carry you know, real, real venom to the point where they're making threats to kill in some cases and, you know, you know, really, really poor insults of each other's mothers and sisters. I mean, people might be familiar with, with one of the one, you know, suggesting that somebody's mother, uh, that they were so poor that they use a bucket as a toilet and therefore she had rings on her arse. And that was, a, I think, a meme at one stage that was taken up by people I think making fun of these guys. I mean, like there's a certain um, almost Muhammad Muhammad Ali esque poetry to the way they kind of come up with insults, uh, but at the same time, some of it's pretty vicious, um, and and you can see it. It kind of you can see it kind of how it could escalate issues. So that instead of instead of resolving a, dis- a dispute, sometimes these bare knuckle fights take on a momentum of the, their own and create four or five other reasons for wider members of any particular clan to start targeting each other for, for whatever, whether it's violence or, 
or more videos in which they're calling each other's names. Now, before we get into uh, Joe Joyce and who's one of the stars of this world, let's just have a little listen to some of those uh, call outs. Hello, Simon, this is me again. Your worst nightmare. I'm your worst nightmare. As far as I'm concerned, Anthony, we call you shite in the bucket. You're shite in the bucket for a whole two weeks. Again, me awful was finished with you up in Dublin. You wouldn't leave the trailer, you were shite in the bucket for two weeks. But Simon, I'm christening you now, officially, shy in the bucket as well. Because again, I'm finished with you, I'm closing them for you, I'm closing your two eyes, and you're going to be shite in the bucket for two weeks as well. Simon, I was thinking about you and Navin. Navin, we give you the height of respect, by, But nobody to know it now, know your soft, dribbly mouth, know your dribbly mouth, Simon. I'd bust it for you, I'd bust it for you. You're not none of your fucking Judas. Come out now, Simon, you have the name. You've the name, I've no name. You've the name. Come out now and fucking fight. Shite in the bucket. That's it. We need to get on to Joe Joyce, who is one of the stars of this world. And he's been in the news this week, Eamon, Joe Joyce. Yeah, Joe Joyce, he's originally from Moat in County Westmeath, um, a 32-year-old father of four. And he, he comes from, I suppose he's at least a, you know, a second-generation bare-knuckle boxer. Uh, and yeah, so on, on Monday, like he'd been he'd, he'd been involved in um, a row, a street row outside his home in Fermanagh, and uh, I think it was in April 2020. Uh, there, there was, um, I think, three guys from a, a neighbouring house uh, who were related, I'm told, to people that he would have fought as a bare knuckle boxer, you know, sometime previously. And there was there was words exchanged. Their, their gardens actually backed onto each other, and there was words exchanged over the back garden fence which resulted in three of the McDonough's coming around to the front of the house. Now, Joe Joy says, in all, in, you know, he was interviewed by police, you know, fairly shortly afterwards. Um, and these statements are, were, were heard in court over, you know, the last uh, couple of months. Uh, and as far as he was concerned, he was in fear of his life. He was going to be attacked. One of them had something under his jacket. Now, it turned out to be a bottle. He was worried that it was, it was acid going to be thrown at him. He's the, you know, one of them had a spade. There was other weapons being carried. And as he, what he called, he took a slasher from his garden shed and went out to confront the three of them, you know, to protect his wife, Ellen, and their kids. And this slasher, it's a slash hook. It's a long-handled kind of curved blade. It's used, you know, for, for clearing ditches, for that kind of heavy sort of agricultural work or, you know, landscaping work. Uh, and he, he, he managed to, he caught John Paul McDonough on the lower leg. But, I mean, the wound was deep enough and he... He, he basically bled out. He didn't die there and then. This happened on a Saturday night. He underwent emergency surgery, but he died the following Monday, an 18-year-old um, uh, John Paul McDonough. So that, that's what he was sentenced for. Now, he, he's, his defence was that it was self-defence. Now, this, the, the, the video of... There was a, the confrontation was partially caught on video, which kind of went viral at the time. Uh, and, and you can kind of... The, the prosecution made the argument that he had plenty of time to back down and walk away, but that he continued, you know, he continued moving forward, confronting, as far as he was concerned, the men who had come to attack him. Uh, and so the jury did find him guilty of murder as opposed to any other lesser, you know, form of unlawful homicide. And I think, I think it came as a shock, certainly, to the, the Joyce family and I think to a lot, of, a lot of people in the South who, you know, in that situation, I, I think, you know, the benefit of the doubt would be given that it, it wasn't a deliberate attempt to kill him. Um, but again, like, you know, there was evidence in court given, which I, I should add was disputed by Joyce's barrister, that his wife, Ellen, 
had, had been shouting at another woman who'd come out to tend to the, the dying John Paul McDonough and had started shouting at her husband, finish him off, finish him off. Uh, now, this was doubted. This was, you know, cont- hotly contested in court. So we can't necessarily know the truth of that, but it was in evidence. So, it, it, but it, it, I think, I think it, it kind of gives you the idea of kind of how furious the fight was. Um, mm. I, I suppose the fact that for years, like, you know, Joe Joyce had been building himself up at this, you know, as this guy who wouldn't be beaten in a fight, you know, he'd be regularly, you know, in his messages, I'll, I'll knock you out at one slap. I'm, you know, I'm the boss. I'm not going to be beaten. So it'd be very hard for him to back away from a fight, you know, having built up his own legend, I guess, for so long. So, I mean, it was kind of inevitable something like this was going to happen to him at some point. Was his father the infamous Joe Joyce Sr., the guy that was always on the videos and yeah, was yeah, on yeah, documentaries? That's it. Yeah, it's the chap with the big gaucho moustache. I think people might have yeah. seen him. Yeah, I mean, well, it's Big Joe Jr. and Big Joe Sr., and Joe Joe lives in a little bungalow just outside of Moat. And there was a time when I, I would visit on occasion and he was always terribly friendly to myself and our old photographer, Liam, who shared a love of horses with him, which helped us, I think, to have a chat. Um, and there were, you know, but he, he very much, this is, I think, in a way, it was kind of pre-social media days or before people had got the hang of it. And and I think there was a lot of attempts at trying to deliver threats and messages through the pages of the Sunday World. Oh, really? About who who are they gonna who are they gonna fight? So we'd have to kind of kind of listen to a lot of this bluster before we could, you know, kind of finally get to what we wanted to ask about. You know, when was such a such a fight going to take place? And we would we wouldn't be speculating necessarily on who was going to win. But uh, Big Joe Joyce, you know, he really is international class when it comes to talking. I mean, there's still he regularly features on his Facebook, you know, singing away. Having a having a beer. I mean, you know, he he was a great man for delivering verdicts on on fights in in fairly colourful language as well. And and he's also had his fair share of violence. You know, he's had clumps of flesh taken out of his 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 arm and face. He's you know they've had a shotgun attack on on his old house on the current house they're in. It's been petrol bombs, windows smashed. They've had. Do you know, you know that they've had this kind of constant flux of of violence, and you have to think that some of that is down to putting themselves out there so much. I mean, as as a young guy himself, Big Joe Senior, like he had, he had a, I think one of he he had a reputation as a bare knuckle fighter, like in in the late sixties when at the age of eighteen he was taking on men much older, and like you know he had a a famous clash against a guy called Dan Rooney uh, from Cross McLean. Now Dan Rooney would have been seen as one of the one of the top fighters at that stage and there's a there's a, a crazy VHS video of him fighting this other man called Amy McGinley now these are all names that are going to continuously come up in any discussion of of bare knuckle boxers because we're now we're talking about the next generation you know from these families and Big Joe would have taken on um, Dan Rooney sometime after his famous fight with Amy McGinley and was going well, uh, but was hit by Rooney in such a way that he went over on his leg and broke his leg and insisted on being tied to a truck standing up so he could finish off the fight. But I think on, on that occasion, the fair play men decided, you know, they'd call it a day and, you know, gave the fight to, to Dan Rooney, which I think uh, Joe was kind of, in one way, he was half proud. He didn't, he didn't in, in one sense, like the fight was awarded against him, but he didn't actually lose he was the much younger guy fighting the the you know you know the established champion but it kind of it gives you it gives you a sense of kind of 
the madness that I think surrounds some of these competitions. I think you're answering the question when I asked you at the beginning about sport and you threw golf in as well, suggesting that it wasn't a sport, but this doesn't seem to be, or certainly some sort of a mix in between. So you have these kind of like, you know, obviously stars of the bare knuckle scene as such, but the violence seems to spill over from the actual contest contests into their real life and around their their personal life. Did Big Joe Joyce? He was the fellow who said that he used to dip his hands in petrol to make them hard for a fight, as opposed to, you know, all those hand creams that are out there for ladies who want to make their hands soft. Um, he did exactly the opposite, but he said that in a documentary that 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 was his little trick, was it? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things he said. I think he might have been trying to wind up some people that might set themselves alight then when they went to light their cigarette. It's hard to know if that was true or not, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but look, I mean, yeah, it, like it, it's, quite the, it's quite the character, I have to, I have to admit. Um, like, in, in terms of, like in terms of physicality, like a lot of these guys that are, you know, who are seen as the serious um, fighters like Big Joe, and as the name suggests, like both... Big Joe Sr. and Big Joe Jr. are big men. Like, they're physically big men when you're standing next to them. Like, you know, my rugby background, I'm kind of thinking, like, you know, here's a potential international number eight or even a second row. I mean, they're all they're all well over six foot. They're, you know, they're approaching 18, 20 stone. I mean, they are not small men. I mean, the likes of um, Paddy Jaws Ward and, and Barney the Gorilla McGinley are big, big men, you know? Um, and, and and I think, I, I suppose, there might even be a bit of pressure on them to fight be, because of that. I mean, you know, there, there's quite a... I think, like, in, in boxing, obviously, you know, it's in, in, in ring boxing or whatever, in licensed boxing, it's done by weight classification. So, I mean, you have your, your flyweights and bantamweights, you know, at the, at the, at the, at the, the light uh, end of it. And then you go right up to super heavyweights, which is where most of these guys would probably, I mean, they'd, they'd actually be too heavy for for the heavyweight category. Like you know, you're talking, you know, Mike, you're, you're talking, sorry, Tyson Fury sort of level of of size. Although his physique is probably yet that little bit bigger than some of these bare knuckle guys. And do they get paid? Uh, it's a good question, to be honest, because you know sometimes, like you see a lot of these videos before and after. Because, I mean, when you ask them, you, you just don't get a straight answer, to be honest. I mean, they'll tell you, yeah, you know, there was 10,000 on that fight. There was 150,000 on this fight. Uh, but I think the the explanation that seems to be the most accurate is that often, like, you know, a fighter, if someone said, right, if you want to fight me, then you've got to put up 50,000 euro. And if you do, I'll put up 50,000. And it's a way of getting people to shut up and not to be constantly saying, I'm going to fight you. We'll say, well, where's your money? You haven't been able to raise the money. And that they, they argue then that or they'll say that the money comes from various members of the family that so-and-so will put in five grand here and 10 grand there or whatever. And they'll gather together the, the, the 50,000. So this money then will be held by the fair play men. So the 100,000 then would, you know, theoretically go to the winner, but it wouldn't be his money in that sense. All his to keep, he'd have to give back the stake plus the winnings to the members of the family who had put up the money in the first place, essentially backing him. So it'd be, you know, a kind of a bet rather than a straight out, a straight out prize. But you'd often find, I mean, there's so many of these, you know, big money fights that are usually end in a draw with two very relieved looking fair play men kind of delighted that after 40 minutes, they got the two boys to, to finally shake hands and call it a day, uh, which is kind of in, in one sense, the best result, because then there isn't going to be any disappointed people over 
losing their 15 grand or their 10 grand that made up the 120 grand stake that the two the two men were fighting over or which you know I, I mean they call it you know they're they're kicking money um and again it was just it's just a way of putting a price on you know to see if somebody's serious I, i'm sure there's a version of it goes on in professional boxing where you know you, you pay a, a negotiation fee or whatever to make sure that you're really serious about you're going to follow through on this and it's not just trying to get cheap headlines or cheap publicity that you're going to take on you know some big champion you you really have to show that you you mean business so it, you know all this goes back as you say to the 17th century when people you know worked out their disputes in fist fights in the middle of horse fairs etc um as regulations come in and up to modern times is this actually fully illegal to fight like that uh, or is it only if a complaint is made from either party and how do they and where do they arrange these fights? Just in terms of legality, um, I mean, any unwanted contact is is uh, is common assault. Um, but whether it's unwanted or not, is it's, you know, getting a punch in the face when you've agreed to fight somebody is your consent to violence as there is in sports. So it's probably not illegal in, in that sense. Uh, it, I think if somebody ends up... Um, keeling over and hitting their head on the concrete ground or a rock or whatever, like then you're probably into manslaughter territory. So, and then again, if you have a big crowd of people who are shouting and roaring or standing around, you know, you can argue then that it's, 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 you know, at, at the very least it's, it's, you know, uh, behavior threatening to lead to a breach of the peace. But I, I don't know if it is, I don't know if it's straightforward illegal, to be honest with you. Um, I know that when the guards do come across them, they'll break it up. But they, you know, the guys just move on within minutes to you know another location. They'll always have somewhere where they're ready to go. I mean, myself and uh, a colleague one time, we were invited to one of, I think it was actually one of um, Big Joe Junior's fights, and we got a phone call from someone else, not him. I might add, saying that the fight was on in such and such a place, and to park up in Castle Pollard or somewhere in Westmeath. And anyway, we took off and a pretty crazy convoy in the distance. So like they were driving a bit faster than I think we were kind of prepared to at that stage. But anyway, we found all the cars parked up and well, walked up on foot up a, a lane into a, a boggy field. And things are about to get going when a guard, a sergeant and his trusty colleague trudged up and told everyone to go home or he'd be putting their names in a book. So at which point they all took off again at even greater speed. Um, and like, and basically we lost them. Um, and the, the, the fight anyway went ahead in a farmyard in Kells, which is it was a fair bit of a trip away over you know back roads, and it went on for about an hour, and it was a pretty pretty tough fight, and there was you know but sixty or seventy people, so there was I mean that was an incident of a, of a fight that you know the guards were there and, and broke it up, stopped it happening, and it just you know it took place literally you know forty five minutes later in a, it's just a different county, so that's how quick it was. If everybody's agreeable and nobody's going to make a statement in connection with it, I suppose, what can they do? So you mentioned that it was Joe Joyce Jr.'s fight that you were invited to. And yeah, it was your it was your slow driving, Eamon, that was the uh, the stumbling block to actually seeing this in action. But that was Joe Joyce Jr. So he's he's only 32. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. How long has he been? How long has he been uh, at this? I'd, well, I'd, start, I'd say since he's 17, 18. Like, you know, he's, he's a big kid. He was eager to get going. So I mean, you know, and, and in fairness, he is a, he is a decent boxer. Um, like while he was living in Fermanagh, he actually won the the amateur title, the heavyweight title uh, in Ulster, 
and was was at one point he, he would have been eligible for selection to compete in the Commonwealth Games I think they were going to be on in Australia now they don't have to pick uh, a team he wasn't picked as it turned out but he was he was eligible to represent Northern Ireland at the Commonwealth Games now I, I think he did like he, he won he won whatever round and then I think he got a walkover in the final I think the you know, the finalist or, or whatever happened anyway somebody didn't fancy their chances and basically the, the fight never went ahead so but at the same time, you know, he was the he was the he was the Ulster heavyweight amateur boxing champion. So I mean, you know, and, and 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 all of these guys now, like I mean, like all of them have you know serious backgrounds when it comes to you know boxing coaching. Um, like he, like his brother Davy would have represented Ireland, uh, I mean, fifteen or sixteen times at youth level as a boxer. So you, you, you know, like he he would have had like Big Joe Senior's grandson. Uh, Joe Ward is a, a professional light heavyweight now that at one stage is an Olympic prospect and, a, you know, a seri- again, a serious fighter. Not, not, like, there's no suggestion he's involved in anything ropey like this, you know. Um, and he, he, was a, he was a real promise. Like, he, he swept aside, you remember, um, uh, Kenny Egan, the, the Olympic medalist, and he swept him aside in, in the, the, you know, in, in, a, in a contest, like, in, uh, I think, in, in one of the national finals when he was just um, 17 or 18. So you had this kind of young fighter you know, clearing all the way before him. So, I mean, like in that sense, like, you know, Big Joe Jr. comes from quite the, I suppose, a boxing dynasty. You know, you know they're, they're a family, they're a family steeped in, in boxing, both in the, in the bare knuckle tradition and also in the licensed amateur and professional fighting game as well. And as you've said, this bare knuckle tradition regularly spills over into more personal insults and, you know, people arriving at doors and people having to go out and say, defend themselves. Was there shock that Joe Joyce Jr. was convicted of murder and is going to be sentenced? There is only one sentence for that, which is life. Um, And do you think that lessons may be learned from what happened here? And uh, those involved in it may have to try and, you know, limit it to the more organised you know, farmyard scraps or whatever, but try and not have have incidents like this happening around their home again. I, to, to be honest, no, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think any lessons will be learned. I mean, like you know, you know, these kind of these these attacks, you know, happen with a certain level of frequency. I mean, they don't normally result in someone dying, but every so often they do, uh, and and it's just, you know, it's 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 just that kind of. It's just that sense of being outside the law and, and that there's only one way to kind of resolve an argument and there's not going to be any kind of, oh, I'm going to let them break my windows and then report them to the to the police or to the guards afterwards. You have to kind of go out and protect your reputation and your manhood or whatever. And so that, that kind of thing is always going to, you know, it's it's has the potential for always ending badly, you know. I mean, it, it's kind of, they get caught up in their own kind of showmanship, I think, as well. And I mean, like, and there's there's loads of others. I mean, like I mentioned Dan Rooney earlier, like you know, and he was a showman at the time. You know, there was like after his his this crazy fight, you know, in in the middle of a baying crowd in front of a, a British Army singer in 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 Cross McGlen in 1990. Like the next day, he was doing a kind of like a sports style interview. I think it was his cousin who was who, who filmed this interview. It's on it's on VHS. It's a bit of a collector's item, apparently. But he was there in his aviator sunglasses and his colourful kind of uh, his colourful uh, tracksuit top, and he's kind of more or less saying, "Well, you know, he's accusing his opponent of basically having run away, like you know, and that 
you know, it would have been better for him if your man had stayed a bit longer so he could have beaten him properly. And, you know, this is... But having said that, his, his opposite number, Amy McGinley, had been picked up and borne away by his supporters on their shoulders with his arms raised in victory. So, you know, so going back that far, here was a fight that wasn't, you know, that, that you know, still wasn't resolved. But there, there was that kind of showmanship, you know? And I mean, it, it, like, it, it's, it's funny because uh, there was another fight that he, that Rooney went to in the UK, I think it was in Hamill Hempstead sometime after, so he was fighting one of the caches. And again, on this kind of ancient video, uh, like, the, they're all traveling over from, from Ireland to England. Now, Rooney himself lived in England, but there was a lot of the supporters, you know, had arrived over and they were all fairly well on in the pub chatting away and being interviewed as if they were on their way to Wembley or Twickenham or some, you know, Six Nations type sporting event. And uh, so there, there was a great sense of celebration. And he kind of walked into this this um, area then where his rival was waiting for him. And there was a young man seen shouting abuse, kind of saying, I'll take you on, I'll take you on. And it was none other than the now famous Paddy Doherty as a young man. This is Paddy who won Celebrity Big Brother, who... <laughs> Who kind of like? I, th- I think he he started a um, you know a TV career in the UK, which was uh, I think you know very interesting. I, I th- he actually first like he was famous for 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 um, my big fat gypsy wedding. Um, he he was kind of almost like a, he was almost like a, an antidote to the over the top uh, dresses that were going on, and he seemed kind of sensible and low key. But he had a, again a great turn of phrase and a very likable and honest sort of character, and people liked him. But his first appearance on British TV had actually been with Danny Dwyer, Danny Dyer and UK's hardest men, and he was talking about his bare knuckle fights. And he claimed now he was he he claims that he was it was unfairly edited, and that there was a part where he talked about that he in a fight he'd bite off a bit of a man's ear and and he'd swallow it so it couldn't be surgically reattached. But I think he says what he was actually trying to say is that that's the way he would have thought when he was a young man, and it wasn't something that he had done actually done or or w- would think of doing uh, anytime soon. But then he ended up in Big Fat Gypsy Wedding. And then, he, of course, he ended up on When Sally Met Paddy, which is, you know, the John Burko, the Speaker of the House of Commons, his wife, Sally, and they kind of did a bit of, you know, kind of like house swap where you come into my life and here we go. And she went into his life. And and again, it was a big hit with the viewers. And he, he ended up, he won uh, he won a season of, of Celebrity Big Brother. He, he got down to the last time. It was between him and Kerry Katona and the... the the great British public voted in favour of him, but like, huh? but like, like he, but he was still involved. He's still been involved in acting as a fair play man, which is I probably didn't explain this as at the start. The fair play man, each fighter has one that they bring with him. It's like the old dueling seconds. They're there to observe. All the rules are obeyed. You know, they're pretty much the referee, and they're there to call the fight if you know for whichever person you know is deemed a winner. So, like, I mean, he's been involved in 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 in. in as a fair play man in fights, you know, like around this time. Um, but he was also like, I mean, you know, his reputation then, it, they're hard to get away from. He's been, you know, he's been sudden, you know, he's been kind of subject to kind of sudden attacks uh, by, you know, rival clans who kind of young men have wanted to prove their their, their metal against, against uh, you know, the, the famous Paddy Doherty. And again, you know, he's suffered... He's, he, he suffered some bad injuries, you know, and he talks, he actually has a very good um, biography, which I read years ago now, and it's actually very good. It's a great insight, you know, in, into mm. kind of, you know, the chaos that he had in his life, you know, and, 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 the, and the violence that was there. And it kind of gives you an idea as to where he's coming from. And, you know, he, he actually kind of had a reputation of, of a guy who, who stopped, 
you know, kind of rough families disrupting, you know, residential areas where he, where, where he and other members of his extended family lived. And so much so that, you know, he was actually paid by some local authorities to, to maintain uh, the areas where they lived. So, I mean, you know, he, 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 and he comes across well, I think, on, 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 uh, on TV. And that kind of showmanship, even the likes of Dan Rooney, who like retired years, years and years ago from fighting, like he became a born again Christian. And, and he, he's, he's probably better known among some, most, a lot of young travelers as a pastor rather than as a fighter. And he does these mm. fire and brimstone speeches. It's all about a choice between, you know, Satan and God, good and evil. And, you know, you can see the showmanship there that's still there. And I, yeah, I, it's the same thing, I guess, isn't it? In the, in the kind of the, the license fighting, that whole, that whole kind of self-promotion. A hundred percent. But it seems to me like this ancient tradition from originally back to the 17th century has kind of collided with modern forms of social media and, you know, other things that it's working in many ways for the celebrities within it. It's giving them a platform outside their own communities. But unfortunately for Joe Joyce, it was the CCTV that got him uh, for a man that was so used to... uh, you know, filming selfies and, 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 you know, doing his call outs on YouTube. Um, it wasn't actually, you know, he didn't actually mean to be filmed that night that he went to war with the McDonough brothers. And uh, obviously that evidence that was then collected later by the PSNI is his undoing. Um, just finally, his wife, Ellen, in the courtroom was calling out and she was, she was devastated that he was being convicted and she kept insisting that, look, he just, this was self-defense, et cetera. Um, she previously was assaulted by by him herself. Yeah, I mean, that was part of the reason why they were living in Fermanagh, that he's, he's, the last time he hit her was in a guard station in Tullamore, and the sentence was suspended for a period of 10 years on condition that he'd stay living outside of the jurisdiction, because at that time he'd said he would, he would you know, he was... They were now living outside, so the judge says, right, stay outside, don't come back. You know, you can come back three weeks a year and for family bereavements. And that's the only time he, he was, you know, I suppose they allowed back. He also, he was told to stay off social media, uh, which he pretty much had done. You know, though it certainly wasn't as obvious if, if, he, if he was posting anything. It wasn't necessarily obvious it was coming from him. Uh, but yeah, no, he, he, he punched he punched Ellen in, uh, well, in a guard station. And so again, that was caught on CCTV. Like it, it was shown in court. Well, the judge saw it in court, and he described it as a disgusting and savage assault, and described him as a bully and all the rest. Um, but there was a previous occasion in 2010 um, when Young Joe was was in court, and it, it sounded a, a, a lot more violent. And he actually got 18 months in prison. And there was a guard gave evidence that he, you know, he used a horsewhip on her. He hit her with a horsewhip. Um, he stuck keys in her head. And he hit her with a phone charger and she had at one point had fled to a shelter. Uh, and the woman there, uh, uh, basically, Joe Jr. arrived at that that location and basically demanded that his wife come out to him. And she decided she'd leave rather than her husband break up the house. And the woman who, who was there trying to you know, provide a safe haven for, for Ellen ended up being threatened and her own son, who was a guard, and he made threats to them. So he was separately imprisoned for those threats to kill as well. So, I mean, it, like, so, but it, that was actually appealed and um, Ellen had, you know, tried to rescind her statement that she had made to the guards initially. 
Um, but the the judge in the appeal court wasn't having any of it, and the sentence the sentence uh, the sentence remained as as it was that time. But yet yet even then she's she's stuck by him all through these years. Is Joe Joyce the only bare knuckle boxer, or certainly well known one, that has a conviction of this kind? Um, unfortunately, not. Um, one of the the the, the one of again one of the best known uh, bare knuckle boxers during all this era of Big Joe and and Dan Rooney and. Paddy Doherty is a, is a man called James Quinn McDonough, and he, he featured in Ian Palmer's documentary uh, called Knuckle, which I think is on Netflix now and is worth a watch. Um, but his younger brother, Mikey Quinn McDonough, um, he, he was always he wasn't as big as James, but he was mad to kind of prove his his metal. Um, and and he fought he fought one of the Oxford Joyces one time, a guy called Paul Joyce, and he lost to him. But he, he seemed, and you can see this in in the um, you can see this in in in. The documentary. He was really anxious to, you know, somehow avenge this defeat. But like Paul Joyce, of all of the bare knuckle boxes, is probably the, probably the biggest. And again, he's another guy I've met. And when you're standing in his shadow, you, you know, like <laughs> you know where he is. But uh, it, it actually features in it, it features in, uh, in in the documentary where they fought in in somewhere in the UK, and there was a, a police helicopter over overhead, and there's a huge crowd watching. And it was the sun was splitting the rocks that day, and you can see the two two men are you know sweating profusely, and Quinn is Quinn McDonough is much smaller, but the bigger man he can't he can't deliver a knockout blow, he can't put Quinn McDonough down. At the same time, Quinn McDonough doesn't have he doesn't have the muscle; he's not big enough to finally land a knockout punch against him, and it's it's eventually ends in a draw. But you can see kind of the craziness there. Um, I, I think that was around kind of the mid two thousands that fight happened. But then in in twenty twelve, to bring it back, sorry to your original question, is there anyone else serving time for for a similar offence? In in twenty twelve, um, basically he 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 went off the rails at his house in in Dundalk and he used the uh, one half of garden shears and stabbed his wife Jacqueline to death. And it was a pretty frenzied attack. It was blamed on his use of cocaine and steroids. So he he's. He's he's been in prison now for the last ten years, so it kind of it gives you. I suppose it gives an insight into certainly in, into kind of again. I think I've already used this phrase once or twice. And you know some of the madness and craziness that comes with this bare knuckle boxing world. Well, look, Eamon Dillon, thank you very much. Thank you, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.